listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. We'll all calm down. Boss, he's just a little excited. I know, I know. I'm going to use good judgment. I haven't lost my temper in 40 years. But Pilgrim, you caused a lot of trouble this morning. Might have got somebody killed. And somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. But I won't. I won't. The hell I won't. Our fathers lie together, Wolf. Two decent men trying to help each other and understand each other. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Goodbye, dear friend. Goodbye, Father. Miss Eula? Go ahead, shoot. We're not armed. Seems to me there's been enough shooting around here, ma'am. I'm of a different brand than them that did it. Rooster J. Cogburn, United States Marshal. You're too late, lawman. Too late to stop him, but not too late to hang him. What happened here? Last night, a company of gunmen rode in, ravaged the settlement, killed my father and many of our Indian friends. I'm sorry. Wolf's family was killed last night. Well, they'll pay for it, son. I promise you that. They'll pay for it. For all those that take the sword must perish with the sword. Huh? Matthew, 2652. Oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I figure that the leader of this outfit was a lean, mean, blue-eyed villain. He looked like that. Hmm. That was Hawk, all right. Do you know him? I'm tracking him for the United States government, Washington City. He stole some guns and nitro from him. Plans to rob a bank here in the territory. And you will stop him? Well, that's my intent. I'll find him, arrest him, take him back to Fort Smith for trial and punishment. Those are my orders. As one hanging, I will attend. There are nine men with him. How can you best them? Well, ma'am, I got my Navy Colt sidearm and a Winchester rifle on my saddle and a packet full of cartridges. And a prayer on your lips. I hope you will have need of it. And the government has promised me a posse. 
which I figure will be long on promise and short on posse. Well, well, go with God. Mom. God and you and the boy, ma'am. I'm taking you to Bagby's trading post. You'll be safe there. Gather your belongings. We're not going anywhere, sir. I must stay here and continue my father's work. I will be both preacher and teacher now. I admire your sand, sister, but you should know that this is no place for a woman alone. I will look after myself and have done so very well all my life, thank you. I won't allow it. Well, you do not have any say in the matter, sir. I have a lot to say, sister. I am the federal marshal for this territory, responsible for the citizens' safety. Now, you will pack and come along with me quietly, or I'll arrest you and take you anyway. To whom do you think you are talking, Marshal? You as to whom I think I'm talking, sister. It's true you are bigger than I am, but physically, that is all. I think in this situation, that is enough. You mean you are willing to use brute force? That is exactly what I mean. Oh. Yes. Well, I will go. But not because of your threats. Saddle our horses, Wolf. We'll look for Grangers to help rebuild the settlement. You have a lot of brass, Marshal. You will have need of it before we are through. She sings a loud tune. To make sure the good Lord hears me. Yeah, well... Go saddle the horses, son. Hi, this is Shirley Cha-Cha Muldowney, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening. I'm your show host, Robert. How you doing, Cedric? Oh, we're doing great, man. We're doing great. Yeah, you know, I mean, Susie, last week was the first of the year. Yes, indeed. So, and we did a show. It was Alan and I. Now, would you consider that the first show of the year? Would you consider this the first show of the year? Uh, that was New Year's Day, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first show of the year. That was the first show? Yeah, okay. that was the first show. Okay, well, this is the second show, so welcome to our second show. Hey, run to your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Be sure and check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to check out our podcast if you've missed any of our past show. It's also located on our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. And the podcast is, of course, naturally, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, uh, oh yeah, be sure and like us on Facebook. We're slowly creeping up there. We're trying to get a million likes, so we're working on it. We only have, I forget how many, hundreds of thousands and thousands to go. But hey, what the heck. any rate, oh yeah, we still, uh, you know, we have some uh, stuff on our stuffs page. So be sure and get a t-shirt and a uh, bumper sticker. And uh, let's see, boy, do we have an exciting show for you tonight. For you Pontiac guys, we've got an amazing guest coming on later this afternoon. I'm excited because this gentleman has set amazing records, outstanding records. In the world of drag racing. Oops, there I go. I gave the hint away. But I'm not going to say who it is. But anyway, so be sure and tune in. He will be coming on probably in the next 10, 15 minutes or so. So we're looking forward to that. Other than that, geez, let's wait. Next week, this is when we get real busy. We had a pretty good time at the Sumter County Fairgrounds this past weekend. There was a lot of stuff there. Uh, not as much as 
typical, but uh, it was a pretty good turnout. And of course, I think in first of next month they've got one, and I think in February or March they've got the three-day extravaganza coming up. But I'll keep you guys informed as to when that takes place. But starting this weekend, this weekend is when all hell breaks loose in Scottsdale, Arizona. You've got six auctions going on. Actually, on Sunday at the uh, the Biltmore Resort in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, they're having the inaugural Arizona Concourse d'Elegance. So that should be really exciting. They're going to have some really, really amazing cars. And, and it's kind of a long time coming. So basically what this concourse is going to do is going to kick off the week at Scottsdale. So you know, during Scottsdale, you've got Barrett-Jackson, which starts on Tuesday. You've got uh, Russo and Steel, which starts on Wednesday. You've got Silver which starts on, I think, Thursday, Friday. You've got uh, Goodings Auction, which is uh, Thursday, Friday. You've got RM Auction, which is Friday, So uh, and possibly Saturday. I'm not sure. But anyway, so you've got six auctions going on. And then, of course, on Saturday at the Pavilion, which is a huge, huge shopping center, they've got thousands and thousands of cars that will show up there. I mean, you just name it, it's there. I don't care if it's a Mercedes uh, 1959 Mercedes 180D that somebody put a small block motor of some kind in there. Actually, it was a diesel and set the thing back way behind the firewall, moved the front seat into the back seat, stretched the wheelbase. It actually looked like an altered drag car, which was kind of cool. Uh, guy had a 1961 Starliner there. Just nasty. Looked like a barn find. Hood was off of it, but what was under the hood? A huge, mighty, 650 horse, out of the box, Ford single-head cam motor. A sock. To us Ford guys, okay? And that's obviously the motor that would have destroyed Chevrolet and Chrysler. But, uh, you know, NASCAR and NHRA, they, you know, they're they're bought and paid for by Chevrolet and Chrysler. So they protested the motor. So it was only short-lived. But Ford retaliated. They came out with the Boss 429, kicked their butt again. And then, of course, you know, it got protested. So it seems like every time Ford comes out with a really mighty killer big block, you know, the other guys go, well, you know, run into the officials and say, eh, you know. But at any rate, hey, that's just my take on it. What can I say? I'm a Ford guy. So... Cedric, yeah. how you doing? I'm doing good. How's the little one? Oh, she's doing pretty good. Okay, well. I mean, as, as good as, as she can at that age. I mean, that's good. She can't talk or anything. Let me guess. Four months now? Four, four and a half months. months. Four months. Very good. Well, congratulations. There's nothing. When they get to be six months, you know, things change a little bit, and they yeah. start sitting up and getting a little bit more playful. Seven, eight months. I mean, you know what? It's just, there's nothing like parenthood. There really, truly isn't. And there's and that's probably one of the greatest gifts, you know, God's given us is, is children. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. So, so be a good daddy, and uh, you'll have some great rewards down the road. At any rate, so let's see. Uh, is Hey, double-check this. I'm not sure, but uh, I think I got an email today, but I believe, is it Elvis Presley's birthday today? Or what I, 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 yes, it is, and I know because, yes, well, Artie says so. Okay, Artie says so. But also, I, I know that because Rob called in to tell me. Okay. Hey, anyway, be sure and tune into hey. the Artie Fletcher show after uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And hey, course, are you playing any Elvis Presley music? Yes, today? we are. As a matter of fact, since I'm a, I am a big Elvis Presley fan, and I, I was debating which song to play. You know, I kind of like my my first album that I ever bought was Girl Happy, and I and I saw the movie and I thought it was kind of cool. And but I'm a big fan of Spin Out, obviously because he had a Cobra in that movie. And I think since we're in the cars, I think Spin Out is probably a more appropriate song. Although he did Speedway. He didn't do any drag racing songs, you know. So then I thought, well, you know what? Since our guest later is going to be is a drag racer, I didn't know whether we should play a drag racing song. So should we take a vote on this? You know, we can't ask Artie because Artie's really not in the cards. What do you think, Artie? Elvis, let's go Elvis because it's uh, and do spin out. Yeah, well, we got the Elvis already. It's we, already set. We got that Elvis already oh, set? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So, uh, but anyway, so let's see what else we got going on. And then in two weeks in Orlando... Okay, Mecham Auctions, eight days, 3,000 cars. Now, I will say this. 
I will open up the phone lines. We got our little uh, our little music here. I will open oh, up the phone sorry. lines, and I think I'm going to have some radio show giveaway tickets. Two tickets to Meekum. There we go. So, the 11th caller that calls in, give us a call here at the studio, 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000. I've got a pair of tickets to Meekum's Auto Auction. Okay, I think it's good for any day, and I think it's eight days long. Now, the tickets, I think, are either 15 or 20 bucks a piece, so that's a bargain. It's between 30 and $40 worth of tickets you're going to get. So, be sure and call in. Phones are ringing up already. I hear that. I see it. Uh, you can't see it. You can't hear it, but I can see it, and I can hear it. But at any rate, so that's 727-441-3000. And next week, I'll have some more tickets. And probably, since it's going on in two weeks from now, I'll probably have some more. So we'll just play this by ear. But it, like I said, uh, we've already got a winner here. Looks like, well, maybe. Maybe phone's still ringing. You know, we, we try to go 11 and 9. But, you know, since we're generous here sometimes. So we'll see. It depends on how many people call. But at any rate. Okay, so you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, so I guess we might as well turn the uh, turntable and uh, play a little Elvis spin out. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't go away, don't touch that dial. Spin out by Elvis. You crowd your clothes, spin your wheels, then you're gonna know how it feels to spin out. Yeah. Spin out. Better watch those curves, never let her steer. If she can shake your nerves, boy, she can strip your gears. She'll get your heart. Going fast, then she'll let you run out of gas. So spin out, spin out. you down, that's a goal, scoot before you lose control, let's spin out, spin out, the road to love is full of danger signs, too many guys were lost, who crossed those double lines, don't you know she's at the This is Tom Mondes McGillen. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf... Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2348. 
442. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my good friend, William Helfrich. He's a lawyer, and a darn good one at that. He specializes in medical malpractice, social security issues, and probate. His credentials are exceptional. He is a former JAG, yes, a military lawyer, sworn to uphold the law to the highest ethical standards. For over 20 years, he was an attorney for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Give Bill a call at 727-831-5312. That's 727-831-5312. Let William Helfrey help you make informed legal choices. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo, or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hi, this is John Forrest, and you're Listen, listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You do it better than me. You do I it. Don't know. <laughs> Actually, I, that's almost a good promo right there, just in itself. I'm John Force, and uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You almost had it there, John. Any rate, so you know what? I got to tell you guys, you know, this uh, the weather's been kind of chilly, but still, in spite of everything, you know, like the other day when I, on Sunday when we drove up to uh, Sumter County to go uh, nose around at the swap meet, we actually had a pretty good time. I didn't find a lot of stuff I was looking for because it's kind of like uh, I just don't get there at 5 a.m. like I used to. I get there like around uh, me and my buddy Hank, we uh, kind of slumber in like, uh, oh, about 8.30 or something like that, you know, after we diddy bop up there and argue about politics for a while and stop at McDonald's and have our breakfast and spill our coffee in our laps in the van, you know. But uh, I'll tell you what, we took some side roads, and I'm still amazed at the amount of old cars that are still laying around. You know, they're not, you know, I'd say around town here, you know, in Clearwater and Tampa and Dunedin and Oldsmar and, you know, Pasco County and places like that. They're they're pretty well picked because everybody's kind of wise and it's such close quarters, you know, people can just hop in their car and just kind of cruise the neighborhoods and cruise the alleys, which used to be one of my favorite pastimes. But um, we hit a couple side roads while we were up there, and we actually did find some stuff. I found a lot of trucks, and I'm not necessarily a huge 50s, early 60s truck fan. I think they're cool, but it's just not my cup of tea. But at any rate, there's still a lot of stuff out there, you know. And then, of course, if you get on Craigslist and you get on some of these little flyers that you find in some of these little cheap, uh, you know, dewdrop bins and these little uh, neighborhoods out there in Polk County and Pasco County and, you know, Hernando County, you know, there's still stuff being out there. There's there's stuff advertised, so that's kind of cool. That's kind of hopeful, you know. And and then the other thing too is, you know, when you go to the swap meet, you start talking to some of the guys that I have seen for decades, and I seriously mean decades. There's guys that have been going there for thirty, thirty five years, and really, you know, I kind of dating myself, but I've actually been going to some of these swap meets for. 30, 35 years, and you see the same guys. And what's funny is we're all aging. It's kind of funny, you know. It used to be we're all concerned about, you know, finding these really cool rare parts and stashing them and wheeling and dealing them and stuff. Now it's like, uh, so how's your health? You know, oh, yeah, you know, I can't my back. Uh, oh, my knees. Oh, uh, I got a, I got a cart. Uh, well, I just don't, uh, I don't work on stuff like I used to. Yeah, I just can't twist the wrenches like I used to, and uh, that's sad. The only good thing is is that a lot of these older guys are kind of coming off some of their stuff, and finally that they've got stashes and stashes of, so 
those of us that are a generation or two behind, if we're still into it, we're still kind of collecting that stuff. So we're here to basically carry the torch for the guys before us. And that's one of the reasons why on this show, you know, I generally try to get a lot of the older guys on. And, you know, these guys that were pioneers in racing, whether it's drag racing, whether it's rounding around racing, whether it's, you know, uh, sports car racing, you know, these are the guys that we really owe a lot to because these are the guys that were pioneers. I mean, the guys like Don Garlis, the guys like, uh, you know, the uh, Carol Shelby's, you know, the Penske's and people like that, even though they were 50s and 60s, you know, these guys were pretty creative on their stuff, you know, and uh, and, and you got to hand it to them, you know, Vic Edelbrock and people like that, you know, uh, Alex Exidius has been on this show, you know, I mean, these guys are pushing 80, 90 years old, and a lot of them are still with it. They're still into it. You know why? Because they got a super positive attitude. And that's very, very important. So my word to all you guys out there, if you think you're doing bad, look at some of these guys that are pushing 90 years old and still out there kicking butt. I mean, we had Bud Moore on. Bud Moore's 85 years old, and he's just his recollection is amazing, his memory. Carol Shelby's been on. He was pushing 90. You know, we've had, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Phil Remington, 91 or 92, you know, and he's still working in the shop at uh, All-American there for uh, Dan Gurney, still building cool, innovative cars. He actually worked on the uh, Delta Wing, you know, which uh, was developed there at uh, Dan Gurney's shop. So just these older guys, you see them, say hi to them, pay them homage. I mean, these are really, really cool guys, you know. And I want to make an effort this year to try to get some of these guys on because, unfortunately, Andy Granatelli just recently passed away. I was trying to get him on the show. John Fitch passed away this past year, trying to get him on. And I want to get a lot of these older guys on so they can share their stories with us, you know, because it's inspirational. It really is. And keep in mind, you know, those of you that are, those of us that are into the older cars, you know, that's the, that was the, in my opinion, the 50s and 60s was really truly the golden era of racing because the cars looked pretty much like cars, were fairly innovative, these guys were creative, they really made a sincere effort to compete, there was real competition, there were no rules, the only time they had rules was after somebody basically protested somebody, then they said, well, you can't do this. So then the guys were really clever, and, you know, they, they'd figure out ways to get around the rules, you know. So rules really only came to play when it was kind of like an unfair advantage to some of the other racers, regardless of whether it's, like I said, drag racing, road racing, or round and round racing or anything like that. So, but there was but there was real innovation back in those days. Today, you know, they're trying to make it competitive. They're trying to keep the action kind of close and let's call it door handle to door handle or whatever. So racing is more spec racing, at least in NASCAR, road racing, uh, you know, round and round. It's kind of that way. But drag racing still is kind of pretty much, uh, I mean, our rules, but it's still kind of pure racing. I mean, they still cheat a little bit, which is good. They still are, they're innovative. There's really no restrictions. They're not trying to make all the cars equal. You know, they don't give you sealed engines. You can't touch them. You can just play with a few little electronics and gizmos and stuff like that. You know, just my thoughts on that stuff. But anyway, hey, we're going to go to a commercial break. And I think we are going to, or we're going to play a song. And we're going to have our guest on. And this should be a real interesting, uh, geez, I'm lost for words. A real interesting interview. And I'm looking forward to it. So as far as I'm concerned, this gentleman is going to start our year off. This is great. And here we go. Here's what we got spinning around on the turntable. We got uh, a little Everly Brothers. In fact, it's unfortunate, but one of the brothers just passed away here, didn't they? Yep. And this is your tribute. This is our tribute to the Everly Brothers. Sings a love song like a bird. Sings a 
Hi, this is Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. Hey, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman needs no introduction. He is legendary in the world of drag racing. The tameless tiger himself, the legendary Arnie the Farmer Beswick. Welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Super, super, super. So you're uh, still up there in a small little farm town in uh, northwest uh, Illinois, right? Yep. We're about uh, 10 miles from uh, the Iowa border here, Mississippi River, and we're probably 40 miles from Wisconsin. So we're right up here at the uh, northwest uh, corner of Illinois. Well, yes, we are. you got a little uh, white stuff on the ground this oh, uh, past boy. week or so, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's the understatement. <laughs> uh, we got banks out here twice as high as the roof of a car, or no, it's probably three times as high as the roof of the car. We're going down the road where they plowed it up. 
Yep, terrible. So let me guess. So you're uh, so if you're all snowed in, you got to be in your shop working on your race car, right? Well, I wished I had a shop. Unfortunately, I lost that in a fire here uh, several years ago. So I kind of have to lean on friends and uh, use their shop. And right now, the car is sitting out here in the trailer. Oh, really? Underneath the snowbank. It's shivering. <laughs> it's shivering. The little kitty's uh, getting cold. Well, yeah, we. Uh, I almost broke some sort of a record here on the night before last. I think uh, the actual reading on a thermometer was right around 32 or 34 degrees below zero. That's cold. That's with real. a windshield factor of below, you know, minus 40 something. Yeah. Ouch. See, we're we're just spoiled here in Florida. You know, we just don't uh, have to deal with that. <laughs> I know. I don't know how you guys sleep at night uh, about <laughs> your friends up here. It's <laughs> well, anyway, so Arnie, welcome to the show, and we would love to hear your story. So tell us a little bit about how you got started. In fact, I was reading somewhere, I think you actually raced Dodges and Oldsmobile at one point in time in the 50s? Yes, I did. I started with an Oldsmobile, and I, my first car that I bought new when I was uh, just getting out of high school was a 50 Oldsmobile, 50 fastback Oldsmobile with a Rocket 88 303 cubic inch motor. And it was, uh, of course, in those days, those Ford flatheads were kind of the bad boys on the road. There wasn't any drag strips around here at that time. So, uh, But that uh, Oldsmobile would sure uh, make a lot of those Ford flatheads uh, look at uh, that Oldsmobile taillight. It was a kick. But car, it would run real good, real good. Well, let me ask you this: was it was it forty nine when Oldsmobile came out with the overhead valve motor? Is that what it was? That's correct. Okay, That's correct. Yep. And so that same that was the same motor that was in the fifties. So it was the same cubic inch displacement, three hundred three. Yes, uh, started out three hundred three, and then that went up to uh, three uh, uh, three. I don't remember the exact twenty something. I believe I had a uh, I had three or four Oldsmobiles. My first one was at fifty. Then I had a a 53 but that I when I went into the army I bought that when I got out of the army and then I had a 54 that I won the first NHR event at Great uh, Bend Kansas uh, I don't remember what class I think it was B stock they didn't have the automatic classes in those days it was, everything was one class it was a, a stock B stock on down and I think I won uh, uh, B stock class the top classes were uh, uh, the 55 Chevys and the Fords uh, with the two four-barrels. That's when they come out with the Power Pack Chevys, and uh, I don't remember what the Ford called their car that, that particular time, but uh, we was one class below them. Yeah, there was the 312s with the dual quads in them. Yep, I think but you're right, you're mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. The, old, the old Y-blocks, they called them. It kicked a lot of butt. Yeah. Those cars did. It sure did. Um. Let me ask you a question. I, I just got an email from somebody, and one of my listeners wants to know if you ever raced at Byron. Byron? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I probably, I couldn't even count the times I've been at Byron. Really? That's not too far up the road, you bet. Byron, Illinois, right up by Rockford, not too far out of Rockford, Illinois. Okay. Well, now, how, what got you into the... I mean, you were were you a, a, a car guy when you were a kid? Is that kind of what got you going? Well, you had the bug? Uh, mostly tractor. You know, I live on a farm, and of course, uh, anything I could do to make those old tractors uh, pull those plows a little bit better. We had some hills we had to go over, and of course, rather than shifting, if you get a little more power out of them, you wouldn't have to shift gears to get that get up over the hill with this 
three, four bottom plow behind it. So I was always playing with the tractors a little bit. And uh, but then, of course, the minute I got cars, why uh, I ch- I changed my loyalty from tractors to cars. Okay. <laughs> was the Oldsmobile the fifty Olds? Was that your first car, or did you have something else before that? I actually had a. 56 Chevy that a friend of mine, I idolized this guy. He he was kind of a wild guy on the street, and uh, he was a neighbor. And uh, then he went to the service, and went, he was a little bit older than me. But I used to run around with him a lot because he just lived down the road from me. Anyway, he had a 56 Chevy. Excuse me. 36, I'm sorry. Okay. 1936 Chevy. Well, I bought that car from him for, you know, like, or from his parents, probably for a uh, seventy-five or a hundred dollars, and I drove that until I, uh, my father, who had Plymouth at that time, he was a great, kind of a Mopar guy. Anyway, I ended up getting his Plymouth and drove that for a while. Uh, then I got this Oldsmobile. I had the Plymouth through high school. The uh, Chevy had so many miles on it and had been beat up so bad by this other fellow before me. It was just a nickel-dime you to death every time you turn around something was wrong with it. It had that knee-action shock-absorber-type front end on it. And oh. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I don't know whether I hit a ditch or edge of the road, but anyway, it seemed to me something happened to that knee-action. And the uh, next thing you know, the tire was uh, was uh, leaning way over uh, into the fender, and that was the last straw. My dad says, we're not going to put any more money in that thing. It's <laughs> a piece of junk. <laughs> so that's when he bought another car, and then I ended up with his Plymouth. In fact, the first car he bought after the Plymouth was an Oldsmobile. And, uh, so that's where we kind of got into the Oldsmobile thing. He wanted to get up into a little higher-class car than that little old Plymouth he had. We ended up with that Oldsmobile. So you got your, you ultimately got your father's Oldsmobile, as they say in the commercial, right? <laughs> I I actually didn't get his Oldsmobile. I got his Plymouth. Oh, okay. And then uh, when the Plymouth, uh, uh, when I I used to work bowling alleys at, uh, at night, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and in the wintertime I'd work at a local factory here. There was a GE plant, so everything I could do to come up with a, a enough money to come up with a down deposit, a deep down payment to get me a new car. That was my goal. And uh, so I spent a lot of hours setting pins and a lot of hours uh, uh, at the factory during the wintertime. And then uh, we also had cows in those days, and I used to milk cows uh, for my dad in early morning, late night, and uh, had kind of had three jobs to try to come up with a down payment to get this new Oldsmobile that I dreamt of having. Okay. Well, how big a farm did you guys have, and what all did you have? I mean, you said you had well, cows. Uh, there's probably, uh, at that time, it was 160 acres, and then it, we increased it some uh, over the years. When a neighbor decided to sell his, we ended up getting his 100. And, so it's around 300 and some acres. Okay. Well, big. By today's standard, if you ain't got a couple thousand, you're just a, you're just a hobby guy, and uh, so we have a lot of cattle here because we've always fed cattle. Uh-huh. When we had the milk cows, we also had feeder cattle, and we I've always stayed into the feeder cattle thing. And we have probably uh, nine, eight hundred to a thousand head of cattle around the 
time. Wow. A lot of cattle around here. Okay. And in the fields, what'd you have? Corn, soy? Yeah, most because we feed everything to the livestock. Mm-hmm. Everything is corn. Okay. Yeah. Year after year after year, it's corn. They do a lot of rotating up here. Those people that are just grain farmers, they go from corn to soybeans to corn to soybeans. They rotate every other year, like that. Just, just to digress for a second, and I don't. I mean, what's the story on ethanol up your way? I mean, are a lot of people raising corn and for the purposes of selling it and having it converted into ethanol, or is that well? Uh, naturally, uh, all that what we call grain farmers, they have no livestock. They, right. It's just uh, corn uh, grain grain operation, mm-hmm. and uh, every kernel that they uh, harvest, they sell uh, to these. We have a super big uh, ADM plant up here, very, very big. Mm-hmm. And uh, this ADM plant, they've been around long before ethanol was ever around, but uh, and they make a lot of products for uh, corn sugars and good uh, I can't name all the products they make. Of course, when this ethanol product started coming into play, why then they also, uh, I don't know, they've been building and building and building and building and expanding their operation, and they got just a huge, huge ethanol operation over there along with their uh, other products that they make out of the kernel of corn. Okay. Huge operation. And that's right across the river here at Clinton, Iowa. Okay. So there, a lot of corn around here that gets sold does go to these different ethanol plants. There's uh, several around here, naturally. This, this ADM happens to be the closest one, mm-hmm. but there's uh, one up towards uh, Galena, Illinois. I can't tell you just where they're all at, but there's a bunch of them, a bunch of make ethanol, yes. Okay. Most of them, just uh, the the ones that come in recently that were built within the last uh, five, six, eight, ten years, uh, they're just strictly ethanol. Oh, okay. Well, that's the another... The plant has uh, quite a bit edge over these other plants because they're so versed in so many other products that they make out of a kernel of corn because right. they've been in the business so long. Okay. Well, that's a subject for another day. We can talk that one. But I want to get to your how you got into drag racing and what made you so successful and so competitive, and particularly with Pontiacs. Well, I think uh, part of it was uh, I started so young and uh, did a lot of racing on the street, which would be unheard of today. You get hauled in real fast. But uh, back in the 50s, why that was kind of popular. So... Uh, you know, if you was at the local drive-in and somebody wanted to uh, think they had something a little bit faster than you, would have to go out and see who had the fast one. So that's how I kind of got started. And then uh, when the drag strip started opening up, the first one in our area was up in Chicago called Half Day, Illinois. Well, it was a, a band, It was actually a military airport that had been closed down, and some way or another, the townspeople and Andy Grantatelli and a few others, uh, big business people out of the Chicago area, they managed to talk uh, to the politicians and get the rental of that track at Half Day, this airport. So that's where my first actual competitive sanction, so-called sanctioned drag race, was took place, was at Half Day, Illinois. 
Well, then as time went on, why uh, uh, still there wasn't anything that was built locally. Most of the time we'd have to go to Half Day or uh, then there was Lawrenceville that kind of come into the picture, which is a track in Lawrenceville, Illinois. That's where they had the first World Series of drag racing, which is probably the first national event type of drag race ever, even before NHRA. Uh, they started this in 1954, this World Series, and it still goes to this day, only after the... And that was another abandoned airport in Lawrenceville. And when... Uh, uh, I don't know whether the town took it back or whether the government... I think it was also a government airport. And the fact that... Uh, None of those places had guardrails or any of that stuff, which none of the tracks did in the early uh, 50s, late 50s, even into the 60s. There was no such thing as a guardrail in a lot of these uh, tracks that started sprouting up. But I think some of the uh, government people started getting a little bit nervous, the fact that, uh, you know, this car get out of control. There's nothing to stop it. There was nothing but... Uh, uh, no guardrails, no fences, hardly. I think there was a number nine wire that kept people from actually walking up to the actual track surface itself. <laughs> so uh, uh, then that got shut down, and then Cordova opened in 1957, Cordova Dragway Park, which is down there near the Quad Cities. And uh, that they kind of made a deal with uh, this outfit that run this uh, World Series thing, to get that event, rather than just let it die out, they brought it up here to Cordova, Illinois. In fact, uh, Don Garlitz and Seto Postolian and some of the big names in drag racing top fuel kind of cars, they was all here for the first two or three years of that uh, World Series of drag racing. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I got my start was in... Uh, Kind of not too far down the road, you know, in Illinois, basically. When did you make the jump to uh, Pontiacs, and what, what lured you to Pontiac? Well, I had uh, the Oldsmobiles until 1954, and then in 55, I continued. In fact, that's when I won the first NHRA event with Oldsmobile. 56, a Dodge dealer, local Dodge dealer approached me that they... He had got wind of uh, a special Dodge that the uh, Chrysler Corporation was going to allow the Dodge Motor Division to build, and he thought that I needed to get my hands into one of those Dodges, so I didn't have the money to buy it, but he went ahead and ordered one. It was a Dodge, what they called a Dodge D500-1, 316 cubic inch. Hemi, uh, two four barrel, uh, two door sedan, and uh, it was really a good running car. Uh, I, you know, that was when Chevy and Ford thought they was a the hot toddy mm -hmm. uh, on the drag drag racing uh, uh, situations and until this Dodge uh, pulled up alongside of them. It it really really had the power advantage and torque advantage over anything that was going at that particular time. The biggest biggest hang up it had was the transmission. 
terrible, terrible transmission. I don't know how many of those I broke. And then the shifting, it was a three-speed on the column, of course, and uh, so quite frequently I had to put a new uh, second gear in it because I'd, I'd tear second gear out of the transmission. But horsepower-wise, uh, once I figured out uh, that I didn't need to use three gears, that the car had enough power to still win on a uh, just about a regular basis, just using two gears, low and second, and uh, that's once I learned that, that car was pretty much impossible to beat on a drag strip uh, with anything uh, that they had in those days anyway. So then in 57, Dodge uh, said they was going to release a, uh, another race version, not only for the drag strip, but for the uh, circle track. It was uh, another two-door sedan Dodge. I don't remember if it was called a Coronet or what, but it was built with a Chrysler uh, running gear under it, Chrysler brakes, Chrysler bearings and uh, wheels and so forth, big rear end. And it also had a 354 cubic inch Chrysler motor in it. I thought, boy, as bad as this 56 is, i got to have a 57. Uh-huh. And they call that a D501. So uh, the minute they was available, uh, I gave the other car back to Eddie. Uh, that was our local Dodge dealer, the, the 56, and I got this 57. Well, that 57 proved to be quite a disappointing car, mostly because I think the motor was so far, it was just so front-end heavy. The motor was much heavier than that little 316 cubic inch Dodge motor. And the motor was quite a bit forward, and of course in those days, all we run was stock classes, and there was only allowed 7-inch wide tires, and we didn't have such a thing as a good drag tire in the 57 era. So the car was just helpless getting off the starting line. It had so much torque, and uh, that's when the 57 Chevys come out with their little fuel injection thing, and uh, Ford come out with their uh, retractable hard tops, and uh, I think they had the Paxton supercharger on it. Yep. And if I got against one of those that somebody really knew how to tune and how to drive, he'd just kick my butt. So 57 uh, uh, kind of turned me off with a uh, Chrysler car, and in 58 they wasn't going to have anything any. It really wasn't building any kind of a car in 58. So I started, I always followed NASCAR a lot and followed the Daytona races and the Speed Week affairs down there at the, on the beach. And I heard that, uh, you know, and following them, I see that this Pontiac thing started uh, uh, making a lot of noise and setting some records. And, and uh, I, in fact, I had a chance to drive a couple Pontiacs. A friend out of the Quad Cities had a 57 uh, Chieftain Pontiac with a 3-2 barrel. And I drove that a few times for him. And I got very impressed with that car. And I thought, boy, I better check into that come 58, which I did. So I I went ahead and ordered a 58 kit. I want to call it a Catalina, but it was called a Chieftain. And I ordered that as a regular uh, tri-power 
biggest motor they had naturally, and uh, I think it was 348 horsepower or somewhere in there. I don't, not sure. Uh, and that car just really kicked butt up here at the drag races. And uh, again, it was a three-speed car, and I did have my problems breaking. Uh, I didn't break the transmission ever, but I kept breaking shift uh, tubes in the in the shift. Uh, column, or I should call a steering column. Your shift tube went down the steering column and then runs some levers off the transmission, and I kept breaking that shift tube. So then I did the same thing with that as I did with the uh, 56 Dodge. I, I converted it so I could run it in two gears and uh, ended up uh, doing very well with that car. And I uh, just continued with the Pontiac. I bought one in 59 again. And uh, don't forget, those early years, we drove them on the street as much as we drove them on the racetrack. Cause they was they was kind of our one and only driver car. So uh, they got until 1960. I I finally had enough money to come up with a couple cars so we could use. A, we had a street car and 60 Pontiac. I managed to uh, get a four-speed. That was one forty. Pontiac first released the four-speed in uh, in their cars, and so you know, I had a '60 Ventura and a four-speed car in 1960, which I drove for a while on the street. In fact, I drove it all the way to Daytona Beach. That's when NASCAR started. To, they joined hands with NHRA, or NHRA joined hands with them to see what a winter national type uh, event, how attractive that would be and how many uh, participants and spectators they could draw out of the woodwork. And they had that uh, at an airport down there, uh, right out down the road from Daytona, called Benell, and our first NHRA winter national event, NHRA NASCAR winter national event, was held at Benell County Airport, which uh, I drove the 60 Pontiac there. It, it was a five-night, excuse me, six-night race. Started on a Saturday night and can, or wait a minute, started on a Sunday night and continued all the way to the following Saturday night before the Daytona 500 was run. So uh, I got my feet wet running that car with a four-speed and. Won that event down there. You got so many points each night you won. And I think I won every night except one when they had me protested. They couldn't think of Pontiac come with a four-speed, and I had to come up with a with a bill of sale, which I had not taken with me, and I had to get Pontiac to uh, Western Union, a bill of sale down there, to give to the NASCAR NHRA officials to prove that that car was built with a four-speed in it before they'd allow me to run the following night. So that's, uh, that's, uh, and then, of course, I would continue to go to the Daytona Winter Nationals. Uh, after the first year, NHRA thought that was too big a, a pocketbook to be sharing with somebody else, so they found out that they could rent the Pomona drag strip, and they started their own NHRA event, Winter Nationals at Pomona, NASCAR continued to do theirs uh, alone without the NHRA people in 61 and continued that until 
70 sometime. I forget. It just got to be too big. The NASCAR program got to be too big, and uh, they didn't have a time to mess with it. Plus, they lost the uh, ability to rent this airport. So they just put their winter national event in the 70s sometime or another. Arnie, we only have a few minutes left. Real quickly, when did you first get sponsorship, and when was Pontiac kind of uh, started giving you some support? Exactly. Uh, of course, I started with Pontiac in 58, but if you want to talk sponsorship, I really never had uh, anything directly from Pontiac. Yes, if they come out with a special valve or spell spring or camshaft, or I think I might have got a set of cylinder heads at one time when they come out with a Ram Air 5. And maybe I don't recall for sure if I ever got a set of Super Duties when they, in 1963 before uh, they actually put them on the car. I think I might have got one set. But as far as any dollars from Pontiac, I, if you want to call these pieces dollars, that's the only sponsorship that I ever, ever had from Pontiac. That was it. Every car I ever drove from Pontiac, I had to go borrow the money and make sure I could figure a way to pay for them as payments come due. Every Pontiac I ever drove really? to this day. Between the two motors, the 389 and the 421, was there a big difference when the 421 came out? Well, naturally, if you knew how to uh, uh, kind of tune the 421s, they, they were torquey son of a guns, and uh, for a while they had too much torque for the tires that we had available. So you really had to know how to drive them to get them off the line without just uh, going up in smoke, spinning the tires. So they were a little tricky to drive. Actually, the, there was a lot of 389s that beat those 421s strictly because the individual that owned the car didn't have the right gearing and didn't have the right uh, clutch feel to get that car going. Once you could get the, the, the 421 just had ungodly torque, especially with the early cams that they put out, so the, the Keller number 7s, the 8s, the 9s, etc., etc. Those torque, those cams had so much torque. And uh, you really, really had to have the car, uh, you had to know how to play with that clutch a little bit and uh, make sure that you could get every bit of transfer weight on those rear wheels or you wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just going to light tires up so easy in low gear, especially those guys that put the low gear ratio in the, uh, in the rear end. Some of them like to set them up like a Chevy and so forth. And a Pontiac didn't need those 488 and 536s and all those kind of gears. They just had way too much torque. Uh, Arnie, we're just about out of time, so what I want to do is I definitely want to get you to come on the show again, but I want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes to come on and share some of your stories. I definitely want to get into Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, because I know you're still racing today. Now, if anybody wants to find out about you, they can go to your website, right? It's ArnieBestWeek.com, and they can find out all kinds of stuff about you. You have an official yeah, website, right? Put a bit on there, and uh, they're welcome to get on that follow up on it. Okay, Arnie the Farmer Beswick has been our special guest for the evening. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and tune in our show next week, the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I'll see you guys at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. And uh, hey, man, we got some great races coming on in the next couple of months, so uh, I want to see you guys some of the races some of the car shows. Take care, everybody. Tell a tale.
Bill's out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to take a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Watching NASCAR and drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs>